0: Hey everyone, this is Lynn Bartim and you are listening to the Apex Hour on KSUU Thunder 91.1. In this show, you get more personal time with the guests who visit Southern Utah University from all over, learning more about their stories and opinions beyond their presentations on stage. We will also give you some new music to listen to and hope to turn you on to some new sounds and new genres. You can find us here every Thursday at 3 p.m. or on the web at su.edu slash apex. But for now, welcome to this week's show here on Thunder 91.1. All right, everyone. Well, welcome in. It is the Apex Hour and this is Lynn Vartan. It is November and we are celebrating politics today. We are talking politics, both Utah politics, national politics, and what a time to be alive in the world of politics. This is my last show of the fall season, um, but we will be definitely playing uh, episodes from previous uh, moments in the fall all throughout the month of December. So you can be on the listen for those if you're listening live. And and of course, you can find our podcast anywhere where you find podcasts. So I'd like to welcome my guests in. I have here today two guests. One is part of our SCU family, and that is Mary Weaver Bennett, who is the director of our Levitt Center for Politics. Welcome in, Mary. Hey. And also, I have Brian Schott here, who is a journalist and correspondent with the Salt Lake Tribune and has spent over two decades in Utah politics. Welcome, Brian. Hi there. Hi there. And we want to say right off the bat that you are no stranger to radio and politics. No. And in fact, you have a fantastic podcast that's called Utah Politics, and I have been thoroughly enjoying it. So please, everyone, check it out and um, have a listen. It's about a weekly podcast. Tell us a bit about the platform.
1: Um, you know, uh, I you know, I've, I've, I spent a lot of my career in radio, and I really like being able to have conversations with people. So every week, I uh, try to find people uh, who are interesting uh, uh, either in the state or outside of the state, authors, uh, people in politics, and, uh, just sit, sit down with them for about 15 to 20 minutes and, um, you know, just really, uh, get their thoughts unfiltered on a number of things. So I, I, I really appreciate being able to do that. And, uh, you know, as I say, some, sometimes it, it goes well.
0: Yeah, it goes well a lot. I've been really enjoying it. I've, Actually, it'd be nice to maybe start a bit by uh, highlighting a couple of the episodes that that I remember. You recently had Mitt Romney on Mm -hmm. with you, and you talked about so many different things, post-election controversy, of course, which is on everybody's mind, and Trump's legal challenges. And I I wonder if um, you have any moments from that talk that you particularly like and might want to share with us. Well,
1: you know, I I always... I always like to look at back at the last time I get to talk to Rom, uh, to Senator Romney. And last time was about a year and a half ago. Ah. So, um, and, and he does these things in, uh, in like blocks. So you'll see him do like a national interview and then he'll come and talk to everybody lo- locally. So uh, it was really nice to have the opportunity to talk with him, um, and, and, and just really dig into some of the stuff that's been going on, uh, post-election. There had been a lot of rumors about him possibly, uh, being a candidate for, um, a, a cabinet. Cabinet position right. with Joe Biden, and you know he he put the, those those rumors to rest because if you think about it, we're going to have a pretty evenly divided U.S. Senate. Um, they're either going to be uh, it's either going to be even at 50-50 or fifty one forty nine or fifty two to 48. so It's going to be pretty evenly divided. And Romney, as someone who's sort of seen as uh, a, a moderate or someone who's closer to the middle than some of the other stalwarts in the Republican Party. It could be pretty easy for him to band together with a Susan Collins and a Lisa Murkowski on the Republican side and then maybe get Joe Manchin and a few other people on the Democratic side and, and get some stuff done in the next Congress. So he's going to be a major player in mm. that. And, and I think he understands it. He wouldn't put words to it, but you can tell that that's part of his cal- calculations. He's a, you know, he's he's a seasoned political operator. He understands where he has an advantage. Um, you know, and, and, and it's going to be interesting to see how he He operates... Once, uh, uh, once the, that, uh, pre- president Trump is out of office and he's dealing with, uh, a, a democratic pre- president, a democratic White House. So uh, I'll be fascinated to see how that plays out. I think he sees some real opportunities. He's got some things he wants to get done. Um, you know, he, he, he really wants to confront China. He wants to get tougher mm, on them. Right, right. Um, you know, he's, he's worried about, uh, entitlement reform. And what does that mean? Well, that usually means, uh, you know, reforming social security and other things. Um, uh, he, and so, so he's staying pretty true to what we know about Senator Romney. So I'll, I'll be fascinated to see how this works out. Uh, right now, um, he's fundraising for the two Republican candidates in the Georgia runoff. Oh. Um, his office tells me he's raised about $100,000 so far. Wow. And that's key because that's how you gain influence with your other senators. So if he's down there raising money for them, trying to help them win, and if they do win, that's going to help him. So I, I don't expect him to be a leader. Um, You know, he has spoken out against Trump in the past, and a lot of re- Republicans don't like him for that. But in the Senate... They know where he stands. They yeah. they know who he is, and so you know he's not disliked.
0: Yeah, right. So that's a really interesting thing. Thinking about how people can gain influence by supporting—I mean, it makes complete sense. But I never had really thought of it that way. By supporting, for example, like you were saying the candidates—that's um, really interesting.
1: Well, money is the lifeblood of politics, right? Especially yeah. in political campaigns. So yeah. if you help, if you help raise some money, you know, uh, uh, it's not necessarily a quid pro quo, but candidates—that—that's how you gain influence among your peers. It, right. it, it works all the way down here up to the Utah leg, leg, legislature as well. You'll see uh, candidates uh, uh, or uh, re, re, you'll see members of the House, members of the Senate donating to more vulnerable candidates. I remember a few years ago when Greg Hughes, uh, who was running for speaker for the very first time, he donated to a lot of candidates ah. um, who were just coming into the house. Uh-huh. He picked races where these guys were probably going to win, but he, he donated a lot of money to them, helped them out quite a bit and turned around. Um, and he won a resounding vict- hmm. vict- victory as speaker. So, hmm. um, you know, it helped him out and really put him in a good position with that. So, uh, it, it, it's a smart thing that, that he's doing.
0: Yeah. Sounds like it. Well, I'd love to ask you a little bit about your current position. Um, political correspondent is that the official title
1: Mm -hmm, okay
0: and what for for those who may not know what does that mean on a day-to-day basis
1: um yeah i i cover interesting things in the political world you know uh, we we have there's there's a government team at, at the tribune and they do a tremendous job recovering a number of things and they have beats like uh lee davidson covers the transportation beat uh and we have other people working up at the capitol as well um and and i sort of uh float around independently. I can look for things that, you know, maybe they don't have time to get to. Uh-huh. Or uh and 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 my role is to do a little more analysis uh, as as and, and put things into more Perspective, you know, sort of go behind the scenes, try to figure out how decisions were made, um, and so it 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 just gives a, a little bit deeper understanding to how the political game is played in the state.
0: Oh, that's cool. I'm I'm happy to know that 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 sort of distinction and that slight um, track that you kind of mm-hmm. go on. So it sounds like you have quite a bit of freedom to pursue. What you want to pursue? Well,
1: you know, no, I I don't have a lot of. I, it's not like I come in and say I'm doing this. I mean, <laughs> there's there's a collaborative process with an editor. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I work with Matt Canham, yeah. uh, who is the senior uh, the, the senior ma- managing editor over there, and it's been a really great process. Before I came over to the Tribune, I was working at Utah Policy, where I was the managing editor, um, and I was kind of on my own for 12 years. Mm. I, I didn't really have to run stories past anyone, um, you know, and so I, I learned a lot about. The process of writing things that were interesting and people were interested in reading. But I, I really enjoy having this relationship with Matt uh, saying, hey, this is my idea for a story. What, what do you think? And he'll say, well, I like it, but maybe you do this way or maybe you do this angle. And then after the writing is done... Uh, you know, he'll, he'll look it over and, um, not only, you know, check for grammar and, and, and shorten things up, but he'll also say, you know, you might want to take another crack at that. Cause I think that, that if you wrote it in such a way where it's a little bit looser or a little more explanatory, it might be better. And, and almost always, no, I, I will not say almost every time, uh, he's right. Yeah. So, you know, uh, uh, you know, it, Editors are great. I love editors. Uh,
0: you know, I guess I never really thought that closely about that relationship and the particular dynamic. Um, what makes, in your opinion, a great relationship or what are the great qualities of a managing editor?
1: Well, you just have to, as as both sides have to be open to listening, because I, I certainly don't know all the answers. And there's a certain type of story that I gra- gravitate to that's my strength. Um, you know, and, and we have other reporters, Taylor Stevens she uh she gravitates to a different type of type of story mm. as she's writing about she primarily wrote about the fourth congressional di- district race i wrote things too but you know uh, uh there were some stories that i was a little more interested in i was able to bring a different per- perspective to like the massive amounts of advertising spending that always fascinates me mm-hmm. what campaigns are spending their money on because you can kind of get a sense of what the contours of the race are so you know and, and that just comes from experience and seeing and talking with people and finding out what's important so um it's 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 a relationship that I, that i enjoy uh editors are, are are wonderful and if you have a good one you got to hang with them because they will they will almost always make your work better. And, and, but not saying that, you know, do it this, 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 this way. It's my way, the highway. It's always, Hey, you know, think about this. Here's something else to think about. It, it just makes the product better. Ah, so cool. I appreciate that.
0: Well, we mentioned the podcast. I also want to make sure to give time to talk a bit about your newsletter. Can you tell yeah. me about the newsletter? Well,
1: the newsletter is called The Rundown. It used to be, uh, political cornflakes and that sort of, uh, <laughs> it was called political cornflakes. It was invented by T- Tommy Burr, who was in our Washington bureau. He has moved on to another job. Um, and so it was sort of orphaned for a while. Mm-hmm. When I was at U- UtahPolicy.com, uh, I was responsible for a morning newsletter. And, uh, so I, I, I enjoy being able to inform people like that. So we revamped the newsletter and it's still a work in progress. We're still trying to figure things out. But um, what I'm trying to do is highlight important stories, uh, maybe give a little bit of tidbit about what's happening behind the scenes. Uh, you know, uh, and so uh, – there's so many fascinating things that happen in politics and so many little things that happen that sometimes go by the wayside. So, uh, you know, I've got notebooks and notebooks and notebooks of things that I've never been able to write. So this is just another opportunity for me to put that out there. And I do it. And, and I'm trying to do it in such a way that it's interesting to other people. Also, you get it in your email box every morning around 630. It's going to have links to all of the big stories of the day, uh, all, all the local headlines from all the news sources. We scour that. I have uh, our interns help out and they do a great job with that. Um, and so it's, it's, it's just a nice little product. And I'm trying to make it so you can sit down, get caught up on what's happening po- politically in maybe five minutes. Wow, that's awesome. And then awesome. you can get on with, with your day.
0: Awesome. And it's called The Rundown. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you can just Google it. But also, it's I think it's available through the newsletters that are listed on there. Yeah, the you tribute. just go to
1: sltrip.com and you look at our newsletters and you can sign up for, for The Rundown.
0: Perfect. Well, Mary, I want to get you into this conversation. Um, First, please tell us a little bit about your position and what you do. And then I know you have some questions for Brian.
2: So, absolutely. So I am the director of the Michael O. Levitt Center for Politics and Public Service, and we are the only student-run political center in the state of Utah.
3: Um,
2: Yes, all of the work and the hard work and the uh, subject matter and the research and the logistics of every event we do is done by the students. Um, It's quite an impressive undertaking, and we've done... A lot of debates. Um, we do candidate forums. We do every Wednesday at noon, pizza and politics. Uh, everyone's invited to come and help us discuss a uh, pressing issue of the day. And sometimes we just do uh, fun and interesting topics as well. Uh, so that is uh, the Levitt Center. And please come and look for us in the student center. Stop by anytime. We always have television's on to three major news channels and we're anybody in there is more than willing to talk to you about uh, politics and and what's happening. So cool. I have a question for Brian. Sure. Um, I myself am a a huge sport sports fan and particularly college football. I didn't know that. Oh God. Yes. (laughs) So uh, it's been a big, large part of my life. So in your talk today, you have quite a bit of experience calling sports games. Yeah, well, it was um, mostly
1: high school, yeah. But...
2: Um, and, but you had mentioned you'd done some stuff for the Denver Nuggets. And... Well,
1: I, I, I worked uh, sort of as, as support staff for producing and worked yeah. with the people who actually did the play-by-play. The, the play play.
2: So And we were you were also talking about politics mm-hmm. being a game. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if you have thought about your experience refereeing and coaching and and calling sports, how does that apply to your coverage of politics?
1: Uh, um, that's I'm not sure that they're analogous, but you know, let me take a whack at that. <laughs> um, you know, so I I would think today it's a little more relevant in the fact that our politics have turned into a zero sum game where you have to have a winner and a loser. You can't uh, a compromise is no longer um, uh, it's not something that people strive for anymore. Mm -hmm. They're trying to find, uh, every advantage. So, you know, I guess understanding that mindset, um, and, and, and not looking for, not expecting people to adhere to the better angels of their nature, mm-hmm. which is the same thing that happens in sports, which is the same thing that happens, you know, when I'm re- refereeing youth or adult amateur soccer, Um, you know, everybody's an intense competitor. And you have to understand that. Um I, I think the difference is while there is a lot of intense competition in politics. Um, these guys are, these guys mostly don't go out and have a beer afterwards. Um, they, uh, they, uh, uh, that intensity, that intense hatred looks a lot more like a sports rivalry, even afterwards, I I would guess, uh, to make a a tortured analogy. Um, because you know, they're, they're, they're not comrades anymore. It's, uh, I win, you lose, and if you win, then I lose, and neither of us are going to get a little bit of what 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 we want. And that just continues. And so, and 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 I will also say this: that coverage of our political uh, uh, our political environment looks more like sports now, too. It's treated more like sports, and people follow politics like sports. They are not I, they, re- Republicans or Democrats are their team, yeah, and they root for their team. So people are more attuned to. Uh, following politics like sports, and they get as emotional and wrapped up in it, uh, as, as, as they possibly can. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I went to the University of Oklahoma, um, and our rival, University of Texas, and, um, I know some, several people who went to the University of Texas, and they are fine people, but they made a horrible choice in their life. <laughs> And 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 as I've told my wife, I I hate the University of Texas with a fire hotter than a thousand suns, and that's just that's just the way it is. Um, I I see that with people who follow politics, and 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 it's only escalated that they they don't they hate the other side, they hate their their political rivals, um, and and unlike sports, that's not healthy for our de- democracy. I worry about that getting more and more intense.
0: Ooh, that's interesting. I had not thought about the, the journalism and the reporting side as turning into the, the, the team. I mean, they, they are, but turning into the teams and turning into win or lose. I mean, trying to win or lose as journalists also. Yeah.
1: And that's, and that's, I think that's one of the dangers of covering politics because you can get really wrapped up into the horse race. Who's winning? Who's losing? And what goes by the wayside is writing, you know, in a way that people, Understand what's going on, what, what, what the, why, uh, you know, re, re, reporting what the why is rather than, I mean, watch any, watch any of the opinion shows on any of the channels you'll turn on, um, you know, any of those where you have hosts who are not actually jur- journalists. Um, and they will, in some, some cases it's a little more extreme than others, but you know, there is a tendency to talk about, uh your political rivals in maybe not sports terms but uh in uh, p- painting your side in in the best yeah, light right. and and so you get caught up in that horse race um and the good reporters don't don't do that good reporters are able to take a step back and see the entire p- playing field mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and 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 I guess it's more intense the higher up you go the closer you get to the local area um it's uh it, it there's more of uh, a, a sense of cooperation, but it's not—it's not improving. It's mm. getting worse mm. as we go along.
0: Well, Mary, I want—I want to give you the chance to start our next break with the questions, so you can start thinking for that. But it's already time for our first song, and so. Brian, I was looking through your Twitter to try to find musical tastes. And I know that you mentioned the new ACDC album. So I have a song from that, and it's called Shot in the Dark. That's a good one. Okay, good. I hoped it was one that you would like. That's a
1: good one, yeah.
0: (laughs) Perfect. So we're going to listen to Shot in the Dark from ACDC. You're listening to KSUU Thunder 91.1. Welcome back. That was Shot in the Dark uh, by ACDC off of their new album, which was just released, uh gosh, just recently, a couple, maybe this month even. Um, so yeah, this is the Apex Hour. This is Lynn Bartan. You're listening to KSU, Thunder 91.1. As always, the songs that you hear on the Apex Hour are all on a, I put them all in an open playlist on Spotify, um, which you can find on our website, which is scu.edu slash Apex, and then click on the podcast tab and you'll see that Uh, That playlist, all right there, all the music that we have. So, welcome back into the studio, Brian Schott and Mary Weaver Bennett. We are talking politics. Mary, I know you have another question for Brian. I'll let you have it. All right. So,
2: what I want to um, explore a little bit is let's go back four years um, when Donald Trump was first elected. And what we or have seen something now we've never seen in in American history before, which is we have a president who tweets. Never had that before. And when he first started doing it, remember he was a tweeting machine during the campaign. And the big question was when he got elected, well, he can't still tweet, can he? (laughs) And of course he tweets. (laughs) And he doesn't um, make his pronouncements through a spokesperson. He has a press secretary, and, and you know, she gives briefings, but he prefers to speak for himself. And um, he's also retweeted a number of controversial items. And in this recent uh, past two weeks since the election, he's perhaps tweeted things that are not true. Um, and so uh, in the words of Mitt Romney... Um, this the President has a relaxed relationship with the truth. And so I wonder if you have any thoughts about the broader impact of that and and does a White House Twitter account expressing views that are not backed by fact undermine confidence in government?
1: You know, um, I think Donald Trump is a c- singular figure in American p- political life. Um, you see a lot of people trying to do what he does, but it's, it's really hard. I mean, Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz from uh. Texas, has tried to do what he does. Um, you know, you, you see a little bit of that. Uh, what, what Trump does on Twitter, he's very authentic. I mean, it's, it's an authentic mode of communication. I think it's one of the reasons why his fans love him so much. Yeah. Um, I, I, I remember the story uh, when when he first had a Twitter account. He did not tweet. It was not him who tweeted. He had someone who uh, tweeted for oh, him. Oh, really? Yeah. And the guy, there's there's a great there's a great quote from him. The guy who used to run the Twitter account. He said he woke up one morning, and uh, Trump's account was tweeting, and he was not the one who had done it. And he said he felt a lot like that scene in Jurassic Park where the raptors fi- figured out how to open the <laughs> door handles. Oh! that 's that's that 's literally what what he said um, uh, so going from that point to this it's it, it's a it 's a direct line of communication i 've got an alert set up on my phone every time that donald trump tweets i 'll wake up in the morning and there 'll be a bunch of tweets uh, he He tweets at at different times he sees it as a way of getting his message out unfiltered without being censored by the media or have any perspective put on it. Um, you know, so what does that do to, to democracy? What I think right now, uh, I, I'm glad that Twitter is finally starting to label his tweets. Mm. Um, I think about, Maybe five hours after he's out of the presidency, he will be k- kicked off Twitter for violating their. Oh,
0: terms. Oh, you think so? Oh yeah.
1: There's it, it, huh. he he has oh, violated yeah. their terms so many times. I think that uh, and 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 they've already said that once he leaves, he's not going to have the protection of an account of pu- pu- public interest. Oh. So I think I think that he it, it, it's it's a better than average thought uh, a bet that he's going to be kicked off Twitter or suspended or something along those lines. Um, you know, Twitter it's. It's him trying to shape the narrative. He has always been really good at uh, m- manipulating the media to cover him in a very good light. There's the stories when he was first coming up in New York. He would call newspapers as a as his own publicist named John Barron. And there are tapes out there. Really? And you listen to the tapes, and it's Trump- but he's telling them, he's giving them news items so that Donald Trump would show up in the society pages of the newspapers or the little blind drops or whatever. But he would call up the reporters ca- calling himself John Barron. Um, and, and, and it was clearly him. So he's been doing this for a long time. Yeah. He, 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 he doesn't care. If, uh, people are saying what you're saying is wrong or the, as long as you're talk talking about right. him, right? As long as you are, as long as he is the center of attention, as long as he is driving the narrative. Yeah. And I think that we're in a position where, um, the coronavirus pandemic is the first thing he's come across in his presidency where he cannot control it, right? He cannot ignore it he's tried uh, but but he he cannot control that narrative he he and so no matter what he says about it on Twitter it's just not true and it's sort of break breaking into that bubble so um, I, I overall I think that Twitter, Facebook, social media has done a lot of damage to our d- democracy uh, mm-hmm. because of the ease which falsehoods are are spread. I think the line from Mark Twain is, "A lie can make it halfway around the world before a truth can put put on its shoes."
3: Yeah.
1: Um, and that's what happens. And it's it's a lot easier to believe the first thing you said. So, social media's done a lot of damage, and and I don't know if there's a way to undo that. But Trump, he, he knows how to use it. He knows how to uh, share the public narrative and that's that is one of the things about him that's a genius he just has this cunning for being able to 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 do that
0: i'd like to go back to one thing you said do you 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 believe he is an anomaly and not like a trend that we may see many 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 like
1: um we might see we'll see people like him Mm -hmm. try to um uh, uh be you know be like him try to uh, uh adopt his mannerisms the way that he attacks but you know it's it's just it, it's it's not novel and right. so you know he'll be they'll they'll be uh, uh they'll shrink by comparison yeah um the next thing is going to be something diff- different right everybody's looking for the next thing and they're looking for something that looks familiar trump did not look familiar when he came
0: right alive. right um
1: and and you know during that primary the rest of the republican party was just waiting for people to to reject him and they didn't see the danger until it was too late mm. i think about uh back in 2010 when senator bob bennett was ousted at the Repu- at the utah republican convention by uh, uh uh and and you saw that there was an uprising of the delegates and they were not going to give him the nomination again he saw it too late right mm. he saw that danger too late uh but who learned from that or in Hatch the next time around, because they knew that they were going to, they were going to try the same playbook on Hatch. Hatch saw it coming and he was able to, to, uh, effectively defend against that. So, you know, we've seen it before. The next thing that's under, the, the next thing that we don't, uh, have, we're not f- f- familiar with is going to be the next thing. So I don't think we're going to have another Donald Trump. I think we're going to have someone who might be, um, uh, perhaps, you know, uh, like Trump, but a little smarter. Yeah. Right? And, and I'm not saying that he's, I'm not saying that Donald Trump, that's not a slam of Donald Trump, but someone who's a little more politically savvy. Yeah. Donald Trump is not a politically savvy person. He's got an animal cunning for being able to control the narrative. But if you get someone who understands the system, that could be the next thing.
0: So. Yeah, I was curious what, what you thought the next thing mm-hmm. might be. So that's really interesting. Mary, do you have something else you'd like to ask? I'm looking at my list. Um,
2: well, I guess um, what do you see for Governor Elect Cox's uh, administration, and what are his? What do you expect him to do? And will he? Uh, I guess will he approach um, COVID in a different way from Governor Herbert?
1: Well, it, he's in an interesting position. He's a brand new governor. We haven't had a brand new governor since nineteen, um, since two thousand and what nine, when uh, John Huntsman left to go to oh, be the wow. ambassador to China.
0: That's right. Yeah, wow. That's,
1: uh, so uh, yeah. we haven't had a new governor since then. Um and uh, so there's always going to be a bit of a power struggle between mm-hmm. the executive and the legislative branch. Um he's not off to a great start, I'll put it that way. <laughs> there was a, a meeting uh with Republican House members on Tuesday night um that I was getting text messages about and it, it got messy there's been some re- sure. reporting about this really um there was a lot of pushback about the approach to coronavirus uh. and that's and that's going to be the big thing that defines i think the first part of his administration the state has done fairly well in um uh uh you know uh they're not having the economic damage we're seeing in a lot of other places, um, but we are in the middle of a spike, and it's going to be really hard. How we handle that going forward is is going to be the first part of his administration. Cox is in an interesting position. He's the first governor who served in the legislature since O'Lean Walker. Uh, John Huntsman did not serve in the legislature, um, and 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 uh, clearly Governor Levitt, uh, excuse me, Gov, Gov, Governor Herbert did not serve in the legislature. Now he was only there for nine months, but he served in the legislature, so they know him. They have a good relationship with him. How is that going to affect the way that he approaches the legislature? Um, you know, it's it's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, if he comes in and tries to do a a, a heavy hand, uh, that's probably not going to go over well. Right. Um, you know, I, I have heard from people that he's got a he's trying to be as. Collaborative as possible, and I think that that's smart. Um, but again, you don't want to let the legislature uh, uh, run over you because the thought is: so, so, so we have the co-equal branches of government—the go- uh, the governor's office, the executive, and the legislature—but um, the legislature protects their power very je- jealously, mm-hmm. uh, and and they sort of see themselves as uh, first among equals. Mm-hmm. So how does governor governor Black Cox deal with that? It's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. Um so uh, I I I'm really going to watch that uh, but as I said it's it's not off to a great start. Um you know and uh, we'll, we'll we'll see if there's any how much of a honeymoon period he actually has.
2: Do you um do you see that he has any specific natural allies in the legislature?
1: Well, a lot, some of the rural, uh, some, some of the rural, uh, law- lawmakers are, I mean, cause that, that was what his entire campaign was, right. was about, uh, um, but, you know, all, all bets are off because he's he's going to have to come up with a budget pr- proposal, and then he'll get frustrated because the governor is supposed to do the budget proposal, and the legislature immediately files it in the cir- circular bin. Right. I mean, it, it, it's it's not as bad as it it it, it, it you used 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 to be where um, but they they still ignore it, right? They they still set their own budget. So the governor's budget is sort of a a, a mild su- suggestion. Uh, um, so I'm not sure where his his natural allies are. Um, um, he, he campaigned for a number of Republicans. So, um, and, and he helped them out during this. Uh, he held cottage meetings and, and, and helped them out during that. So again, that's, that sort of that, that, that quid pro quo. Yeah, he campaigned right. for him. So they're going to help him out. But when push comes to shove, you know, uh, are people going to be willing to break ranks with the leadership if they get into a protracted, uh, uh, uh argument with Cox. And one of the first things that they're going to be doing at the legislature is they're already talking about how they are going to, uh, change the way that the governor's emergency powers, because, uh, we, we've been in a, under an emergency de- declaration for nine months now. And everyone says, does an emergency actually la- last for nine months? So they're already lo- looked looking into that. Oh. They've wanted to do that, th- uh, this for for months and they're going to do it in this session. So how much do they involve Cox with that? How much do they do that? Or how much do they uh, be? Because, and the reason they haven't passed it so far is because they didn't have a veto proof majority. So whatever they do, it doesn't matter if Cox vetoes it or not, they're going to be able to roll over the top of it.
0: Fascinating. I uh in I can't remember if it was in the po- one of the podcast episodes or if it was in an article that I read but um you were talking cuz we've now been talking about the virus a bit um about the impact of the virus on the election um and I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about your feelings and opinions on that
1: Yeah well it it, it changed the way that people campaigned I mean you 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 couldn't go door to door anymore um I think it uh it almost kept uh, John Huntsman off the ballot. Um, oh. He was trying to gather si- signatures, and it almost kept him off the ballot. It did keep Jan Gar- Garbett off the ballot. Um, it did keep uh, a number of other candidates off the ballot. I think of Jeff Burn Burn Burningham. Um, you know, he spent. I think he spent. $5 million on his gubernatorial campaign and did not get on the ballot. Yeah. And that, that is just a uh, uh, campaign malpractice. If you're going to drop that amount of money, your first priority should be able securing a spot on the ballot and he didn't do it. So, um, that that's the first thing it did, but people weren't really able to go door to door. there was a lot of the virtual stuff. Um, there were some candidates who did knock on their door uh, not knock on doors, but not everybody did it anymore. Um, So it it changed the way that they had to... Campaign, it change, uh, and then moving to almost all vote by mail, which we were anyway. Mm-hmm. That has, that has really disrupted the rhythm of campaigning. So, you know, because you're trying to get your targets, you're trying to get your people out to vote, and election day starts three weeks earlier now. Yeah. Um, and so that changes the way that you spend your money. That changes the way that you do your, your communications right. with, with, with people. Um, and so I, I think a lot of campaigns are still trying to adjust to that in reality. Uh, we've been under all mail for a couple of elections, but um, uh, it has just changed the rhythm. But uh, COVID has just changed everything, and and it's been such a, a central issue in a lot of campaigns. Yeah. Um, I was expecting before the pandemic hit, I was expecting this election to be a lot about the failed tax reform that uh, got repealed, um, and and I expected that Democrats were going to raise a lot more uh, a lot more of a stink about the three citizens initiatives that the Republicans in the legislature rewrote. Republicans in legislature did not pay a political price for any of that. There mm-hmm. was only one member, only one Republican le- legislator who lost his seat. That was Eric Hutchings. Um, and he used to be a dem, dem Democrat and it's a dem Democratic part of Salt-, Salt Lake city. So mm-hmm. that one was not surprising, but Republicans did not pay a price for any of that. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, that's just going to embolden them going forward because they don't see that they're going to pay a price for anything. Uh, so uh, um, because the pandemic just, overrode every single issue yeah. this this time around. Yeah.
0: All right. Well it's time for another song. And so the other musical mention that I found is um Hall and Oats. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> hopefully that's a band that you do like. <laughs> oh, see,
1: okay. So um this this is a joke I say. I, I said that when my son got old enough to start liking girls, I said, son, there's only two words you need to know. Hall and oats. Oh. That's it. That's the only words you need to know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, the song I have, I was trying to think of um, making light of, you know, because I know that the political landscape has been a, a little heavy for, for everyone these days. But the song I chose, they're all such great songs, but I chose Out of Touch because I thought that would be a little bit worth a smile <laughs> or two. So this is Out of Touch by Hall & You're listening to KSU Youth under 91.1. Well, we all know that song. That is Out of Touch by Holland Oates. This is Lynn Vartan. You're listening to KSUU Thunder 91.1. This is the Apex Hour. Um, just a reminder to check out our website, which is suu.edu/slash apex. There you can find videos from past events, you can find uh, access to the podcast, uh, photos from our events, and really there's just great stuff to dig in there uh, and check out. So please do check it out. Welcome back into the studio, Mary Weaver-Bennett and Brian Schott. We are talking about politics. We are going to talk now about where we are headed in the future. I think a lot of people would um share the sentiment that these are somewhat troublesome times no matter which side of the aisle you are on but um there's there's definitely a lot of um angst and and perhaps heartbreak and frustration on on both sides and so i'd love to get um brian your thoughts and opinions about where do we go from here um in in the journalistic landscape and the political landscape really just based on your experience and what you're seeing where do we go
1: well uh, so uh, again no one knows what's going to happen and a lot of people were very very wrong about 2016 and then right. now we're here in 2020 but i don't think it's a good sign that we've got a um a large portion of the american public right now not believing that this last election was free and fair right or if or if it was legitimate um and that, that worries me. I mean, I've seen, I've seen surveys after the election where you see a, a large number of Republicans and Trump voters who don't believe that this election was le- legitimate. And that, that's something that's going to happen. Uh, it, it, it's going to have an impact on our politics for a long time. Yeah. Um, and this is going to be something that I, I'm guessing Five years from now, ten years from now, you're still going to have people who believe that uh, Joe Biden somehow stole this this election, um, and 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 so that is very worrisome to me uh, because it's going to create this this narrative, and it's just casting down on down on one of the most fundamental things, one of the most fundamental parts of our our democracy, because if we don't believe that our elections are fair, our elections are legitimate then, you know, it's going to be really hard for for people to govern. Yeah. And and, and that worries me quite a bit.
0: Yeah. I mean, people, you know, when they talk about the election, I mean, if it were to be fake, it would be just the greatest ripoff in all history. I mean, that's the thing that's, I think, so hard. How do we get that point across? Like, to pull off that would have been... You know,
1: it would have been a monumental feat. And, and, you know, there's just, there's just no evidence that that has ever happened. I mean, there's, there's been evidence in the past. You know, you'd look at the stories about Boss Tweed and Tammany Hall and, and how Kennedy won the election, uh, against Nixon, you know, and, and, and sure, that's stuff that you want to look, look at. But, um, part, I think, of the problem is uh, there's no gatekeeper on, 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 on information anymore. Right. Um, in, in the past, it was traditional journalism, jur- journal outlets, you know, like mainstream media, New York Times was, was the, the paper of record. It was in the New York Times, then, you know, it was, it was the rocks, it was the gold standard of, 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 of believability. And, you know, it's not that way anymore. Anybody can say anything they want uh on online um it's picked up it can be reported it can be believed um you know i read i read stories this election about people who said they got their news off of you, you youtube um you know a lot of people get their news off of facebook which is a terrible place to get your news but they they see that um and they're also in it, it also uh it is a feedback loop right it's also um uh it's self perpetuating right. stuff uh and 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 it's it's confirmation bias mm-hmm. and, and we graduate uh, no one likes to be told that they're wrong right nobody likes to be told that what what they believe is not right so you gravitate towards those sorts of things and 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 that's scary you mm-hmm. know um uh, because when you get to that level of distrust in what you're being told uh, you know, then it's, it's going to be really hard for anybody to govern. And 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 it cuts both ways, you know. There were a lot of of uh dem dem democrats who thought that Trump's win in 2016 was Ill, illegitimate. And you know, um and sure there was uh it's been doc, documented that Russia did interfere in the election. They did do it to try and help Trump win. Mm-hmm. Um but what? But the they 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 did it through mis misinformation, right? Right. right. The the disinformation campaign, and it was just, and it's and, and I think it was shocking to a lot of us to learn just what an appetite Americans have for things that are to to consume things that are just so false, so obviously false.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. and I think that runs into the algorithms, right? I mean, if you're reading junk, you automatically get fed more junk.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and, and, and there's there's a great podcast. I don't know if you've listened to it. It's out of the New York Times. It's called Ra- Rab- Rabbit Hole. Mm-hmm. And they dig into where a lot of this internet stuff has. And, and they talk about how how people got ra- radicalized online yeah. um and 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 the qanon stuff that the that how that came to be was it was right around the time that facebook switched their focus to groups right and they had all these ads about being part of a group and 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 they saw groups like gardening groups yeah. and like and like book clubs and things but these conspiracy theories started to bubble up and people started to engage with it and the algorithm which is not alive saw that as real engagement so it started feeding it to more people right. and 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 so that's how that stuff exploded and so now there are people who you know they they may not believe in QAnon but you know they're they're believing things that are QAnon ag- adjacent yeah. and that's and that's frightening. You know, I I, I I try not to interact with people online as much as I can, but there are people who just say stuff that is just crazy, yeah. you know, and, and if you take five seconds to think about it, it falls apart, but they don't want to do that because it confirms their already existing bi- 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 biases.
0: If it was a family, you know, and everybody was like looking at bad information, you you would say, well, the parents should go in and say like, no, okay, we're going to we're going to be the policeman, we're going to be the czar of information or like the traffic czar in Los Angeles or something. I mean, do we... can we do that? Can we get a body in that is yeah, truly unbiased or collective I, I, I,
1: bias? I, I, see, and there there's the problem. You're you're using the word bias because what is bias, you yeah, know? Right. What is bias? You're going to have people claiming that they're too biased and there's there there they're censoring and people don't people don't understand what censorship is, you know. And people I mean there are people who don't understand what the first amendment is. Yeah. Um and they're screaming about it online. Yes. Uh you know, I mean Twitter is, is an incredible place where people who, uh, people can swing from being a a vi- vi- virologist one day to a constitutional scholar the next day. They don't know what they're talking about. Right. Nobody they they don't, but they're very very confident that they know what yeah, they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And they'll believe it because it backs up what they already believe. So, you know, that's that's I I don't see any way to do that. There there is a way to crack down on it. Congress could do it. They could change some of the exemptions in the law. You hear it section 230 of the Communications Act um that gives these platforms immunity because they claim that they are not media companies. Oh, they are media companies, yes. but what it does is it gives them immunity so they're not responsible for what is posted because mm-hmm. it's user-generated content. Yeah. If you change that, they'll fix it overnight. And and, and these companies have 100% dem, dem demonstrated that if they want to fix it, they will. They just don't want to. Why? Because yeah. they, they make money off of it.
0: Huh. Well, we're almost out of time and I, I have a couple of fun questions and then Mary, I think you have a fun question. too. Let's hear it. Well, you know,
2: we we talked this morning about uh, how you like to lurk in the hallways Mm -hmm. of the Capitol. (laughs) And here at the Levitt Center, we have a lot of students who are very interested in politics and will pursue aspects of that as a career. So I was wondering, as a reporter and a journalist, what advice would you give to a budding politician?
1: Don't talk to me. (laughs) Don't take my call. A lot of times, a lot of times when I call you, you know, I, I, this is the joke I say: when I call you, um, you might be in, you might be ready to have a really bad day. So, okay. no, I, I, I would say that um, media. The way that I speak with people on the hill, politicians, is I have to keep reminding them: we are not friends; we are friendly. We can be friendly, but we are not friends. And and, and, and the way that I approach this, and people kind of get take, taken aback by this, but as a journalist, one of my f- favorite quotes is by the famed muckraking journalist H.L. Mencken, where he said, uh, The only way that a, the, 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 the proper way for a journalist to look at a politician is down. <laughs> And it's it's true, you know, I mean, that's, that's I, I, I cannot be friends with people if I'm going to write a story that negatively impacts them. I can be friendly with them, mm-hmm. but at some point that's going to be tested and I know how I'm going to, I know how I'm going to play it. Mm-hmm.
0: We have, I have uh, two questions that I often ask guests. And the first one is, um, it's a question that, that you probably maybe have heard before, but sometimes people say, if you met the you... Uh, From 10 years ago, if the you from now met the you from 10 years ago in a bar fight, who would win that fight? And people answer it a multitude oh. of different
1: ways. And I'm curious. In a bar fight. Um, well, the way that I always answer these questions is... Uh, if it's prison rules, then probably, uh, the you from, uh, uh, the me from today wins, but a straight up fight. It's the me from 10 years, years, years ago.
0: I love that. Everybody answers it so differently. (laughs) It's really fun. That's awesome. And then my, kind of my last question that I always ask guests is, um, this like, what's turning you on this week? And this can be anything. It can be a book or a TV show or a song or an album or I mean, we've had people say clothing or their favorite, you know, lipstick brand. It can be anything at all. It's just an opportunity for our audience to get, you know, a little bit personal insight. And so, Brian Shot, tell me, what is turning you on this week?
1: Um, Orwell. Uh, I'm going to go back and read Nineteen Eighty-Four again. It's one of my f- f- favorite books. When I was younger, it was always Kurt von Vonnegut. But as I'm older, uh, I'm I'm gravitating more. Towards reading or Orwell again, I, I love 9- 9- 1984. I have a T shirt uh, that says "We have always been at war with with East Asia." Uh, I wear that, and it's sort of my intelligence test for for for, for-, for-, for others in public to see <laughs> if they get the joke or not. Oh my um, gosh! Or-, or get get the-, the 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 reference or not? Because um, I mean, it- it's. It's a great book. It's scary if you yeah, really, if you really sure. dig, dig into it. But I'm going to go back and read 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 that again.
0: That's going to be your Thanksgiving read.
1: <laughs> yeah, po- pos- possibly.
0: <laughs> well, awesome. Well, that's all the time we have. Mary, thank you so much for your time thank and you. for this collaboration and yeah. for introducing me to Brian. It's been such a pleasure. Brian, thank you so much for your time. Uh, again, the, pod- the podcast, which everybody should check out, is called Utah Politics. Um, you can find it anywhere where you listen to podcasts, and the newsletter is called The rundown so brian thank you so much for your time
1: thank you for the day it was been it's been a a lot of fun
0: great well everyone we are signing off but we hope to see you in the future here at the apex hour goodbye thanks so much for listening to the apex hour here on ksuu thunder 91.1 come find us again next thursday at 3 p.m for more conversations with the visiting guests at southern utah university and new music to discover for your next playlist and in the meantime, we would love to see you at our events on campus. To find out more, check out suu.edu apex. Until next week, this is Lynn Vartan saying goodbye from the Apex Hour here on Thunder 91.1.